Hi, this is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats. Welcome to part three, the next episode in our four-part series on the six meter. Hopefully you listened to the first two. If not, you might want to go back and pick up on that six meter history, stretching back to the first decade of the 20th century, when the six became part of the Olympic Games. Here in part three, we've come to the golden age, when designer, boat, and crew strive for the complete package with the six-meter dream team. In Goose, we'll see that dream come to life in 1938 and carry on for more than 70 years with one of Owen Stevens' most iconic designs. And we'll meet a Sawanica sailing family who came to be identified as the kings of meter keelboats, participating in seemingly every cup that was ever established from North America to Scandinavia. For designers, owners, and boat drivers, this is truly the golden age of the six meter. A shout out to our partners in bringing conversations with classic boats to you. Windcheck Media with Windcheck Magazine, the boating monthly covering the waterfront from New York City to the Cape. Check out the March issue at your club. Hopefully we'll be returning to our clubs. And keep an eye out for the announcement of the Connecticut Boat Show for the very end of April in Essex, Connecticut. We, with conversations with Classic Boats, will be making our first appearance of the season, hoping to see fans of the podcast. So remember, it's windcheck at windcheck.com. And Team One Newport, bringing innovation to the sailing scene, online and in their Newport store. Mad Martha continues to entertain us with her video appearances. And we are privileged to have the Conversations logo and episode announcements in her email blasts. Go Team One. Reach them at TeamOneNewport.com or visit the Newport store when you can. And now, let's pick up where we left off, as the Roaring Twenties tailed off in spectacular fashion towards a world economic crisis. Hmm, history repeats and repeats. Sailing goes on. In our last episode, we talked about the sea change in sailing. That is the transition from royal owners and paid crews to Corinthian owners who skipper their own boats. The world of racing going into the 1930s is now fundamentally changed. Maybe not democratic, but certainly a much more open racetrack. We were privileged last December to take a busman's holiday to the Sawanka Corinthian Yacht Club in Oyster Bay, Long Island, the Lords, the Mecca of the Six Meter. Under the direction of Sawanica's former Commodore, Hugh Jones, I struggled to absorb the club's stunning display of design history. Three things catch your eye at Sawanica. First, the trophies. Almost 100 linear feet, by my measurement, of 19th century and early 20th century hardware. And as we described in the last episode, in their bar, the half-models of the most noteworthy sixes. The designs proportionally divided between Clinton Crane and Owen Stevens, with a dash of two looters hulls for good measure. And finally, Sawanica is the only club in my experience with a piece of boat archaeology fixed to the wall. Tucked in the niche south of the enormous Stanford White mantelpiece on the west wall of the dining room, there is something there that I have never seen on a club wall, the back of a boat. In high school, when my social studies teacher 
suggested that I volunteer to dust the books in the library at Sagamore Hill, Teddy Roosevelt's home above Cove Neck across the harbor from Sawanica. I marveled at the safari trophies mounted up high between the stacks. Antelopes, gazelles, big cats, you name it. In December 2020, with Hugh Jones's encouragement, we crept behind the Christmas tree in the Sawanica Great Room to take a look at the west wall. No stuffed animals, but an off-white transom sticking out of the wall with the letters G-O-O-S-E. The picture is in the gallery. More later on this most famous disembodied transom of an iconic design. In the last episode, we could not talk about six-meter boats in the 1930s without talking about Owen J. Stevens, the boat designer, and his emergence in 1929 at the age of 20 as a prodigy among the naval architects of the era. We gave you his life story in the last episode. That was part two, Day of the Sixes, if you listened to that podcast. And in its predecessors, Dawn of the Sixes, you know the general history of the most famous naval architect in American history. But for those of you needing a refresher, here are the cliff notes on Owen J. Stevens. Born 1908, the Bronx. Designed his first six, Thalia, 1928. Not so fast, as it turned out. Delivered Cherokee, 1931. The Intrepid. Courageous, stars in the stripe of six meters, in 1931, leading the Americans to a winning team for the British American Cup. And then the epic string of sixes that, along with his role in the J Boat Ranger in 1936, solidified Owen Stevens' hold on the title of Top Designer of the 20th Century. These were the sixes Goose, Gin, Lenoria. Also, thanks to Hugh Jones, I also learned an enormous amount from the 2019 launched 6 Meter Class website, which I recommend for browsing to any fan of classic boats. Browse in it just as I recommended you do so in the Finisterre and Fidelio episode through the 20,000 photos that offshore pioneer Carlton Mitchell of Finisterre fame left in the care of Mystic Seaport Museum. So welcome back listeners for part three, the golden age of the sixes, Lucy Two to Goose. This is the third installment of our epic trip through six meter history prior to World War II. So far it's been a wild ride of innovations among sailors, designers, owners and builders, all in pursuit of a series of international cups. Still throughout one Yacht Club, Suwanaka, maintains its position as the hotbed of sixes. And very shortly in this episode, you will hear the life-sailing history of Suwanaka's most versatile sixes family, the Whittons, competing in every event from the British American Cup to the Olympics. The Whittons were the DIY, do-it-yourself, operation of the six-meter class, designed their own boats, had them built, sailed them themselves. But let's remember, it had all started with the British American Cup in 1921. That's the bronzed urn on the top shelf of the Suwanica Trophy Wall. See it in the gallery. I counted nine of those cups, representing about 40 years of cross-border sailing battles between U.S. and U.K. sailors. 
and the BAC was only one of more than a half dozen major competitions that developed for the six-meter crowd, be they kings or moguls or everyday competitive sailors. Flashback to the years between 1930 and 38. Picture the race courses, Long Island Sound, the Clyde, that's Glasgow, Scotland, the Solent, the Baltic, the Great Sound of Bermuda. The schedule was daunting. You ship your boat or you entertain your, your guests. You race for a week in the main event, dip into some local racing, and move on to the next cup. Sixes were the center of the racing world's attention, except for America's Cup, which in those years meant J-boats. And where did all those boats come from? Literally. Nevin Shipyard on City Island, the Skunk Works of Sixes in the Bronx, the Detroit of Six Meters, Henry Nevins built about 46 meters between 1921 and 1948, as many as four at one time. Only the Europeans Anker and Jensen, Bjorn Oz, Abiking and Rasmussen built more. Henry Nevins built all but one of Clinton Crane's designs and all but two of Owen Stevens' U.S.-built designs. Among the ten Nevins-built sixes that still exist today, one finds such great names as Bobcat 2, Clyde 2, Jin, Fun, Goose, Lenoria, Lucy 2, and Nancy. After the building boom that ended with World War II, Nevins became the pit stop for the rebirth of boats that had been done in the second rule for six meters in the early 20s. Henry Nevins was born in City Island, before it was the Bronx in the most northeasterly part of New York City. City Island marks the end of Long Island Sound as it becomes East Chester Bay, which flows into the East River, going down south towards Manhattan. Henry Nevins had wanted to be a doctor, but he decided to work at his hobby, shipbuilding. In 1929, he bought an existing shipyard, renaming it Henry B. Nevins, Inc. My own grandfather, born in the 1890s, lived down the street from what had been the old Hanson Yard, one of 19 shipyards that was operating at the turn of the century. When that yard closed in 1954, the casualty of changing times and waterfront development, Time Magazine wrote, quote, The late great yacht builder Henry B. Nevins was never a man to cut corners. His city island yard seasoned its own lumber, designed and machined its own fittings, fastened its spars together with glue made of sour cream, sometimes trimmed them to the correct balance by weighing shavings. By such attention to details, perfectionist Henry Nevins built more cup-winning yachts than anyone else. New York's Captain Nat was Henry Nevins, meticulous, fully integrated. Owen Stevens' founding partner, Drake Sparkman, in a set of exhaustively detailed articles called 15 Years of the Six Meters, 1921 to 1936, gives the blow-by-blow account of each successive racing season during that span of time. He tells how six-meter international team racing started and captured the imagination of the sailing world and media. As we said in the last episode, it all started in 1921. Two years before Calvin Coolidge assumed the presidency, 
after the carnival of nonsense that was the Harding administration. Four second-generation American sixes were built in 1921 to travel to Cowes, England for a team match against Team Britannia. Understand that there were no specific team racing rules at that time. Four boats from each side competed, high point scoring, and the team with the highest score in aggregate is the winner after four races. Then, the next year, the competition moves to the other country. In college basketball, they call that a home-and-home home series. Sounds simple, right? No deed of gift, no wrangling on rules. Everyone knows the location. By 1921, a fairly small number of racing numbers had been issued to sixes in the U.S. Check out in the photos section shots of the 1922 BAC competition held in a raging Northwester in Long Island Sound. See the numbers? They're all single digits. After that, more than a hundred new sixes would launch by 1931. The skippers of these boats were, as I call them, internationalists. The builders' nameplates of Nevins, Wood and Jacob of City Island, Looters of Stamford, Harrisoff and Wally were on 59 of those boats. The list of designers including the American Pantheon of Naval Architecture, Crane, Burgess, Gilo, Payne, Gardner, Harrisoff, Maurer, Fred and Sherman Hoyt, Looters, and of course, Stevens. The boy wonder of the sixes was Stevens. When he launched his first six at the age of 21, having left MIT for health reasons to be an apprentice draftsman for Henry Nevis, he was 36 years younger than the reigning designer of choice at that time, Clinton Crane. Remember what the Royal Yacht Squadron said in its memo, lamenting the lack of British competition for the BAC. Blame it on Olin, they said. It was the genius of Stevens in crafting boats the British just couldn't match that scared away that English competition. Meanwhile, the roll call for the U.S. helmsman for foreign competition was lengthy. Henry T. Maxwell, R.E. Boardman, E. Townsend Irvin, Clinton H. Crane, C.D. Mallory, Cornelius Shields, Paul Hammond, J. Seward Johnson, Van Merle Smith, Briggs Cunningham, Sherman Hoyt, Robert B. Marrier, P.J. Roosevelt, Butler Whitting, Herman Swede Witten, W. A. W. Stewart, Bubbles Havemeyer. This was the creme de la creme of 1920 and 30s yachting. And it can certainly be said that between 1921 and 1938, Sawanica was the primary sponsor in the United States of international keelboat racing via the six-meter class. Full stop. These teams put their treasured craft on ships and went to Bermuda, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, England, Scotland, France, Canada, and Bermuda to compete for trophies we know today as the Scandinavian Gold Cup, 
the Wonton Cup, the Prince of Wales Trophy, the George Cup, and the Granddaddies, the Sawanica Challenge Cup, the oldest cup in America, started for match racing. And my favorite, the British American Cup. I just love telling the story of this event. It's true, the oldest event in America had been the Sawanica Cup. But in terms of drama and participation, it all started with the BAC, the granddaddy of world team racing. It was in 1919 that Sawanica entered into negotiations with four English clubs, the Royal Yacht Squadron, the Royal Thames, Royal London and Royal Victoria, for a team match. At first, the plan was to race in the 20 Raider Universal Rule R-boats, like the model that I have in my own room up on the shelf built by my great-uncle. The 6-meter would then be the class used abroad in Europe. Through the negotiation, it ended up all sixes, U.S. and U.K. The resolution was to have four boat six teams from each country. There were actually no team racing rules at the time, no hunting, etc. The first country to win two matches in succession was to take permanent possession of the cup. A set of golden tankers are on the top of shelf, signifying the winners. But not right away. In 1921 in Cowes, the four American boat team went and lost 117 to 88. Even so, the six was the NASA space program of modern keelboats. It was the catalyst for many innovations, overlapping jibs, external ballast, movable running backstays, and so on. They all came into use through competition in the sixes. Innovation came out in spades in 1922, when the rematch inspired the building of no fewer than 13 boats to try for places on the American team, the greatest number in any season. The 1922 American team, led by Henry G. Gilles Leah, took back the cup 111 to 104. Of all those innovations, perhaps the most significant was the creation of the Genoa jib, the overlapping headsail. To whom do we attribute the invention of the Genoa jib? If you look at the original Hoyt design madcap in 1924, one of the first second generation boats, she really looks like an IOD with tall narrow main and three-quarter hoist non-overlapping jib. But by 1930, the jibs have, no pun intended, ballooned. The Genoa became the booster rocket for the modern six. Yet the story of how it came to be is shrouded in some folklore. The backstory of that Genoa, what is it? What's the sailing mythology here? The story of the beginning of the Genoa jib is gleaned from several sources, including some Italian ones barely accessible to my college Latin knowledge. Tim Street, one of the great archivists and writer of books on the, on the sixes, and Pekka Bark in the six meter compiles the most comprehensible account. The central figure is one Raimondo Panario, who found himself employed as a sailmaker in the town of Voltri, 20 kilometers to the west of Genoa. There, aircraft manufacturers were employing mast riggers to assemble the maze of wires needed to control a World War I biplane. 
Post-war, Raimondo returned to Genoa and to sailmaking. In the design firm connected with the introduction of the second international rule, the new scientific designers had junked the gaff rig for a triangular mainsail and so-called Marconi mast. With new hull forms and new sail plans popping up, the search was on for advantage, upwind and down. In the 1925 Italian Cup, in a duel between French and Italian 8 meters, the first appearance of a downwind jib becoming an upwind weapon was noted. Panario wanted to fabricate a new windward sail based on the downwind balloon jib. Starting with the panels of a secondhand British sail, he fabricated a large jib with little curvature designed to function to windward. In pre-season testing, he was convinced that this sail would produce an aerodynamic acceleration to windward. No scientist was he, but he had a hunch. Only later would scientists, physicists, describe the interrelationship of the new jib and the taller flattened mainsail as an aerodynamic phenomenon known as the Venturi effect. In the 1927 competition on Oyster Bay for the Scandinavian Gold Cup, the Swedish boat carried a big windward jib in one hands down. It became the, quote, Swedish jib. Bad blood flowed between the Italians and the Swedish. The inventor retired to Lake Maggiore in northern Italy. But in his autobiography, Yachting Memories, Clinton Crane clearly attributed the Genoa jib to Penario, and the overlapping Genoa became a key feature of the six-meter class. That sounds believable to me. If you, the listener, have any other input, please give it to me. Throughout the 1920s, feast and famine alternated for the builders of sixes. In 1924, the BAC format changed to the best four of seven races, and the U.S. lost that first round. That was really the inflection point for the class. The second generation rule was entrenched, but it was about to be supplanted by the third international rule. Boats began to evolve from pencil-thin, deep-keeled lead mines with tall mains and non-overlapping jibs, to the shapelier modern profile with overlapping sail plans that we associate with boats beginning in the mid to late 1920s. The boats were being built for both match and team racing. Remember in part two, and in the Instagram for conversations with classic boats, that picture of Madcap, number 21, built in 1924 to Frederick Hoyt's design and restored beautifully in Rhode Island, 2008-2009. That was really a classic second-generation design. One year later, in 1925, Clinton Crane delivered Lanai, a long, sleek, longer-boomed rig, and the new era became an American six meters. She was the model for the golden age of the third generation. Lanai became the anchor of the 1928 BAC for the Americans. It was a loss, but one that would be avenged in the next two cups. The wall of half models in the Salonica Bar tells the story of the evolution of the six mid-20s to late 1930s. If you haven't listened to part two, go back and do so before you dig in here. That era in the U.S. is exemplified by Briggs Cunningham, who we'll hear a lot about in our final episode. 
and an emerging father and son sixes team native to Sawanaga. The father and son are the Wittens, two sailors who most epitomized the action from 1930 through the rebirth of the six-meter after World War II. We get the story on the Wittens from our good friend Peter Taylor. Herman Witten was born in Cleveland in 1904, a little older than Briggs and Olin. Like Cunningham, he came from Gilded Age money. His mother was the heiress to the Union Sulphur Company. He graduated from Princeton and was a major supporter of the university's physics department. Herman, known to his fellow sailors as Swede, was from the first generation of U.S. Olympic sailors in an era when only amateurs competed. He sailed his first Olympic regatta in 1928 in Amsterdam, the first games in which the United States had a full team in yachting, as it was then known. Remember back to 1908 when the laws designed Dormy took the gold? Actually, the first modern Olympics in 1896 had included sailing, but the event was canceled due to poor weather. In 1928, Swede was at the helm of the six-meter Frida. He came in sixth out of 13. To date, with the exception of the boycotted 1980 games, the U.S. has always sent a full sailing team to the Olympic Games. In 1936, Witten sailed Indian Scout, a boat of his own design, to victory at the Scandinavian Gold Cup in Hankow, Norway, an event he had won in 1926 sailing the newest crane design, Lanai. Remember, the one on the top of the six-meter wall in the Sawanaka Bar? But earlier in that summer of 36, he had won what he described as a huge trophy made of solid gold. It was called the Adolf Hitler Cup. Witten refused to have dinner with Hitler, and the cup was held back by the Nazis. Germany wouldn't let him back into the country to participate in the 1936 Berlin Games. After the war, the sailing events of the 1948 Games were held in Torquay. Hermann and Alfred Loomis Jr. built a new SNS boat, Lenoria, for the 48 trials. The duo won the trials and navigated light and fluky conditions to secure second place. In the windy final race, Witten had his first Olympic gold, 20 years after his first attempt. The 1952 trials were basically a match between the 38-built and enhanced Goose under Eric Ritter and the returning Lenoria. The U.S. team won in dramatic fashion in Helsinki with a come-from-behind win in the final race. Herman Witten became the first American sailor to win two Olympic medals. When six meters were dropped from the Olympic lineup in the 56 Melbourne Games, Witten continued his Olympic sailing in the five-and-a-half-meter class. In 1960, Witten established the sailboat training facility on Long Island Sound to promote international sailing and, specifically, the Olympics. The champions of the day, Mossbacher, Shields, Ogilvy, Etchells, Hood, Nat, Cox, Stevens, Ratsey, Luders, and O'Day were all instruct instructors in 10 5.5 meters and 8 IODs. Herman Jr. followed in his father's wake in the development of the U.S. Sailing Center in Miami, which bears a plaque recognizing the Witten family's commitment to developing sailing in the U.S. Thanks, Peter. It's, that's a quite a story. In the dining room of Sawanica, overlooking Oyster Bay, is a four-foot-high, 
plastic encased replica of a second generation 6 meter. See it in photos. It's the perpetual trophy for the BAC. It's in the gallery. On it are the contestants in the winning year of 1932. It was held in cows before the depression took its toll on yachting activity. The names, some of it we know well. Briggs Cunningham of Lucy. This was the new one, Clinton Crane's masterpiece. Along with the SNS trio of Bobcat, the Myers, Jill, J.J. Johnson, and of course, Nancy, Olin Stevens. He could design, he could sail. This followed the 1930 team winning at Oyster Bay of Lucy, a different Lucy, Aphrodite and Mars, and the Stevens Rocket, Cherokee. The American team had finally won that series, 1928, 1930, 1932. Two matches to one, and would never look back. And next time, in our bonus edition of the Golden Age of the Sixes, we'll come back to that last skipper, the incomparable Briggs Cunningham, sailing boats from that breakaway designer, Owen Stevens, in an expanding array of six-meter events throughout the world. Thanks for listening to this third of four installments on the International Six-Meter. I encourage you, if you have a chance and haven't heard them, to go back to parts two, one and two, and follow along as we progressed from the 19th century to the 1930s. I think the pictures in the gallery tell the story. Thanks again to our participants, Hugh Jones, owner of number 21, Madcap, and Peter Taylor. Without them, I would have never been able to describe the hidden side of the sixes in their historic home port high on the hill in Oyster Bay. They'll be back for our final installment as we wrap up our quest in a couple of weeks. And remember, subscribe to Conversations with Classic Boats wherever you get your podcasts. The website is always there to visit. Reach me at TCD for sale two. That's TCD, the numeral four, S-A-I-L two at gmail.com with comments and suggestions. And please give us a review. Five stars, if you will. And take a look at the new Instagram. We'll be back in a few weeks with the conclusion of The Golden Age of the Sixes. The producer of this episode was Ned Darling in Peachum, Vermont. Check him out on his LinkedIn page. This is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats. Stay safe, fair sailing. Hear us next time on the only podcast that talks to boats. And we'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. And we'll all hang on behind. And a drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of